I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello, and welcome to the Blizzard Watch Podcast. It's a really great time for me to start joking. <laughs> Let's do that again. <laughs> I'm not cutting that out. You don't have to cut it out. I'm just saying. Hello, and welcome to the Blizzard Watch Podcast. I'm Matt. I'm the host. With me this week is my fantastic co-host, Joe Perez, who can stretch, burst into flames, turn into a rocky person, or become invisible. Although, technically, I can't stretch right now, but thank you. The other stuff is definitely accurate. Um... So, yeah, we're going to talk about stuff involving Blizzard and its games. Uh, most of it's uh, Diablo or WoW-related this week, but one of them is kind of tangential, but we're still going to talk about it just because it, it is important and it's tangential. We're going to talk about that one first. Last week, being a, his impish self on Twitter, Greg Street, uh, known as Ghostcrawler, formerly of World of Warcraft, but it's been a long time since he left. He was, I believe the last one he worked on was, was Mr. Pandaria? Or was it even before that? Uh, Mist, I think, was the last one. Yeah, I think I know he worked on Cataclysm because he's because Transmog was his baby. He's the yeah, one and he Transmog. I think he left during Mist, but like Mist shipped and he had worked on it. Yeah, but that so we're talking on like you know eight nine years ago he left. He's been working at, over at uh, Riot Games ever since. He's currently I think he's like one of the lead designers on League of Legends. He's in charge of their lore and world building over there. And that is correct. He made, he made an announcement on Twitter that they were working on a new project and someone said, is it an MMO? And he responded, yes, it is an MMO. So Riot Games is making a League of Legends MMO. And that has been one of the things that, that the Greg has been doing is building up the lore and storytelling for uh, League of Legends and the world of Terra, which is what League of Legends is set on. So it can do stuff like a sing- there's a single player role-playing game also coming out for it. Um, and now there will be an MMO set there as well. Now you're thinking... That's not really particularly World of Warcraft or Blizzardly, but it kind of is because let's face it. There hasn't been a big MMO release in a while. No. And this would be the biggest competitor that WoW has ever had. Yeah. Because uh, this has the money this has the money behind it that others haven't. Yeah, like the only other the only other MMO that, that came out and could survive the industry long enough to find its footing and find its place was Final Fantasy, I want to say XIV, so fourteen? Fourteen. Yeah, and actually, keep in mind, there are two Final Fantasy XIVs, because they released Final Fantasy XIV, and it bombed hard. Yeah. And so, since Sony was behind Square Enix in this, they basically retooled it and re-released it. They released the Realm Reborn version of it. Yep. That did a lot better, and is currently one of the more popular MMOs out there. Uh, I don't play it, but I know a lot of people who do and who love it. Uh, one of the things they did to become retooled was they made it almost like people have described it as like, kind of like a single player RPG that's an MMO at the same time. There's a lot more story to Final Fantasy XIV than even Shadowlands version of WoW, which has very much, it's got a lot of story. But if League comes out with an MMO, the difference between that and say Wildstar or Riot or Rift 
or any of the other ones that have come out. Remember, um, oh, wow, going back a bit. Remember, like, Lord British did one, the mm-hmm. space one? God, what was the name of that one? I don't remember off the top of my head. But the difference is a lot of other MMOs come out. They almost have to make a profit immediately. Oh, Wildstar. Yeah. No, Wildstar I mentioned already. This was way before that. Oh. This was the one where they put Lord British in space. Remember, he actually got the Russian space industry to take him up into space. Richard Garriott did so he could actually say, yeah, I've been mm. to space. Yeah, I can't remember off the top of my head. But a lot of other MMOs have come and gone because they haven't been able to turn a profit with the old subscription model. And they haven't been able to, to weather the free-to-play, uh, pay-to-win type models long enough to keep an audience. Some have, like Star Trek Online still out there. Uh, Star even Wars that, even that started as a uh, subscription-based. Yeah. So did, so did so, Star Wars. You know, so did Star Wars. A lot of them had to pivot, and they just barely managed to hold on. But if Riot puts out a game, Riot is owned by Tencent. They're pretty Ten- much the king of free-to-play. Tencent is completely swimming in money. Tencent makes um, Activision Blizzard. They could probably buy Activision Blizzard if they really wanted to. And I mean the Activision part of it, too. If if they if Activision Blizzard was on sale, Tencent could probably afford to buy them. They have a lot of money. So while I don't expect they're going to give Riot all of it or anything, they wouldn't need to. To keep a game going for a couple of years until it could find an audience, they can absolutely afford to do it, especially considering how popular League is. Yeah, and I mean, and also to throw it out there, because I know somebody in chat and Odu Luke pointed out that, like, does League even have lore? Yeah, actually, there's a ton there. That's something that mm-hmm. they've been working on for years and years and years. That's so, why they hired Greg. Yeah. Be- That's what he has been doing. Yeah, they, they had all these character backstories. They had all these things that they were trying to flush out. And then Greg came along and started really working on it. And that even their in-game events and all that stuff like that, there are story that... that they wind up pushing for it. It has a surprising amount of lore as far as the world and the different nations and everything else, including the individual. Why champions. these people are fighting each other? What what the arena is? Yeah, yeah, there's a whole bunch of it. So they have tons of lore. They've got everything they need to do an MMO. The thing is, is that at this point, I I don't even waste my time on. Well, is this the WoW killer? Because WoW is never going to get killed. WoW will run until Blizzard stop, decides to stop running it because. It you know it just sold more units than any other expansion ever with Shadowlands. Mm-hmm. Shadowlands beat their record. It beat the the record for Diablo three in terms of single unit sales of a, of a video game. The expansion for World of Warcraft beat oh. an actual entire game. Huh? I just I just looked this up because I forgot about this. Did you know Tencent owns Funcom? Yeah, I did. I had I didn't even know. Sorry. If any company could actually afford to weather the industry and get a game to its to to find an audience, it's Tencent. But it's not going to kill WoW. Nothing is going to kill WoW. Yeah, and that's and that's a mentality that's got to break too. Like that's a reason why like a lot of those other MMOs didn't make the cut. It's because they were trying to kill WoW. Yeah, you you don't you yeah. don't. I said this years and years and years ago on, you know, another podcast that I used to host way long ago. You don't kill WoW. You carve out your own niche and that's it. Like, I just- mean, I understand that the, the, the tendencies, because there was a time with the, the MMO to talk about was EverQuest. Yeah. It and was then- the biggest MMO in the world. It had around a million players and everybody was like astonished. And then World of Warcraft came along and just eclipsed it. But World of Warcraft didn't kill EverQuest. If EverQuest was killed at all, and it wasn't, people are still playing it, uh, it was killed by itself because they decided to put out EverQuest 2 at the same time, like a few months earlier, and they split their audience. That's one of the reasons World of Warcraft is probably never going to have a WoW 2. Yeah. Because why do that when you can just put out an expansion that practically changes the game in every single consistent way, but lets you keep your character and lets you keep playing it? It doesn't split the audience. You can get away with doing something like like WoW Classic by making people who want to play WoW Classic buy a WoW subscription. Mm-hmm. Now you have, you know, technically you've split your audience, but it's all the same subscription. So it doesn't affect your bottom line in any way. It doesn't affect your numbers. People who want to play WoW Classic are buying World of Warcraft to do it. So I think that that's a, forget that. But it is interesting to see a company go to a major MMO now because we haven't seen one in a while i think the last the last big launch i mean that would be wildstar wouldn't it uh because final star fantasy wars, 14 came uh, out years ago final fantasy 14 came out after wildstar the re-release of it came out after Wildstar. even the re-release was still 
several years Elder, ago. You have Elder Scrolls Online and Black Desert Online were probably the two most recent big ones I can think of. And neither of them, like Elder, Elder Scrolls Online is is not hugely played. It's it's actually a very good MMO. I've played it, uh, but its audience is not massive. Um, no, and I, and, and I think that's, that's sort of... You the, might actually call Fallout 76 an MMO at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at this point, it kind of is. It's got like story stuff going on now. Yeah, I don't know if I would call it MMO though. Isn't it like four players per map or something like that? Like it's it's it's, it's, it's got not massive. elements of it. it. It's it's got elements. I would say it's I, multiplayer I, online. I wouldn't say it's massive. But at any rate, this is just something I felt that we should at least mention and acknowledge because it is a big deal. Uh, a lot of ex-Blizzard people work at Riot, so it should be interesting to see what happens there. And it makes me interesting to see what the future is going to bring because I think this this is going to be one of those things that I think sets the cadence for some other. Uh, game developers out there, uh, such as oh, I don't know, Dreamhaven, uh, and yeah, viability for some of their future projects. If this takes off, I mean, you're looking at a situation where people are going to take notice if it looks like M- the MMO market is on the upswing again. Uh, after a while, World of Warcraft basically became the huge beast that ate all the other MMOs, and the field thinned out pretty hard. And mm-hmm. right now. It's. A, I mean, there's there's games out there, but it's like it's World of Warcraft and it's amazing friends right now. Uh, even games like like uh, Final Fantasy XIV, which has a lot of really dedicated players who really love it, just in terms of its its retention, just in terms of its you know units, it isn't it isn't in the same league. But and this could not, be. And just and that's not saying it's bad. It's not. This is not a criticism of Final Fantasy XIV. I haven't played it, but like I said, I know a lot of people who really love it. Who I've, say there's a lot World of Warcraft could learn from it, and I think Shadowlands actually did learn some stuff from it. Yeah, and we joke. Or there's a joke in in my guild because a lot of us play Final Fantasy XIV as well. Uh, is that they did learn a lot, especially with the main story quest structure. Um, the only thing that I was I'm going to say is, and this is also a reaction to chat. Um, when we say that MMOs haven't gotten a big release, I'm not saying that MMOs haven't released. There have been some that have released over the course of, you know, the last 16 years, obviously. When I say big, I mean like big media push, like marketing, like fanfare, things like that. Uh, like there are games out there like Fantasy Star Online 2. Uh, fan- I think it's a great game. It received almost no fanfare or no notification that it released in the west it's been out in the east for a while uh, but when it got to north america even though people have been looking for it there was nothing sega didn't say anything about it nobody did uh so there's a lot of quiet small releases um and i have a feeling that that's going to be the same thing for some of the other ones like there's a bunch of uh city of hero uh successors i guess i'll call them uh that are in the works and when they release i don't know they're going to get the same fanfare and that's just because the that entire landscape has changed but speaking of actually let's let's actually talk about this because speaking of games that are technically mmos that are not really getting the release you might expect diablo immortal has finally actually started external testing yep in australia and streamers yeah and streamers people who are like very specifically invited so they could stream the game and and let you see it technically speaking if you look at diablo immortal it's an mmo there's really no disputing this you can play in a party of up to five people. You are in a persistent world with a whole bunch of other players. You see them. You can interact with them. Um, it, it is structured very much like Old World of Warcraft. And that's what's interesting to me. Is like we're not hearing a ton about it. Like the, the news, we got, we got a big news dump on it last week. I think it was like Thursday, the 17th. All of a sudden, they were like, here's a bunch of news about Diablo Immortal. Everyone was like, what? 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 You, you're still doing that? Wow, okay. And I, I'm, I, for one, am very interested. I actually went through and looked at the various documents that they had for it. Um, one of the things they did was they posted a thing about how it's going to work in terms of its pricing and that it's going to be free to play. Um, there is a, there's a store, but they went out of their way to be like, it's not like the real money auction house. Don't panic, um, which is kind of amusing and also kind of terrifying. I feel bad for the, the people who developed Diablo 3 really had no idea how badly the real money auction house was going to go over. Uh but yeah, it, it, there's a lot to it. There's a, there's a bunch of stuff. The itemization itself, however, they, they mentioned how itemization is going to work. And um, I am cautiously optimistic, but I'm a little alarmed at some of the stuff you can buy. Uh, like you can't buy gear, which is good. You, you, real money does not get you gear. But you can buy like the, one of the things that they've imported from Diablo 3 is, is respecking, where you take a piece of gear and you switch stuff off of it to make it more. It's like reforging. I think it's even called reforging. Probably. Um, and it's, 
you t- basically you get a pair of pants, they drop, and they have a legendary ability that you don't want, so you switch it to one you do want. It's a random chance, like it is in Diablo 3, but you can buy an item that will make it a specific chance. It'll, it'll, you, it will let you pick what it turns into. That disturbs me a little bit, because that feels like the kind of thing you're going to need to do. But, you know, I don't know yet. Uh, it has not been released. I'm going to ask Joe, what do you think? Have you looked, looked into it at all? What are your opinions on it? I am better with it than I am the real money auction house. If that makes sense. Like the idea. Oh yeah, absolutely. I agree with you there. The idea of a small monetization that, that people can utilize, but don't necessarily need to. I'm always okay with that to a certain degree. It's the same thing. Like I'm, I was always okay with cosmetic stuff and heroes of the storm and, and other games like that. I'm fine with stuff like that. I'm fine with things that, you know, might skew the odds. The gray area here is the fact that like, you're changing a very specific item into something else. Now, if that item stays locked to your character for all eternity, fine. I don't have a problem with that. Um, The only thing that I'm a little worried about is going to be if there's PVP, how that's going to change that landscape or how that's going to work. Because I remember Diablo 2, there was a pretty competitive uh, PVP scene. So who knows? I don't know. Yeah, uh, in general, if you like Diablo 3 you'll probably like Diablo more um, because it is basically, it is as close to Diablo three on phones as you're going to get. It, it is not Diablo three, but it's, it's very inspired by, let's put it that way down to the playable classes are everybody from Diablo three, except the witch doctor mm-hmm. in a snub that I feel like witch doctor players. I I'm sorry. That's a, that's, you need some aloe vera because that's quite the burn. Um, but I understand why, because let's face it, the Necromancer and the Witch Doctor play... They occupy the same space. Yeah, they're, they're, they're very similar. And the Necromancer is far more popular. Iconic, um, and, I would say, yeah. Yeah, it's it's just, it is the more well-known class. I honestly would have preferred they put the Witch Doctor in, because, I mean, this is a prequel game. This is the other weird thing about Diab- Diablo Immortal to me, is it's a prequel game, and it's a prequel to Diablo 3. When Diablo 4 is on the horizon... We're getting a prequel to Diablo 3. Um, that's interesting and a little odd. But yeah, in, in terms of how it's going to work, we got the itemization stuff. We got a, a bit about the free-to-play, and, and, and they're absolutely like denying that they're going to be play-to-win. I'm accepting this, but I want to see it, because keep in mind it was NetEase who actually made the game. Yeah, and they're they're used to this. This is not their first foray into this uh, endeavor. Yeah, but they they've... Their structures and so forth have been their own, and we're going to have to see how Blizzard comes up with stuff for it as well. I, I am interested, but I'm not. I'm more interested in Diablo 4, I'll be upfront, because I can play Diablo 4 on my computer. And I have found myself shifting more and more to the computer for gaming and away from phones and, and iPads and, and consoles. And I'm not sure why that is. It's not, I, I am not part of that whole PC Master Race thing. I find that a repellent slogan. It annoys the heck out of me. Agreed. But I do find it easier for me to have my stuff just on my PC. Um, although I did recently find out that I could just plug my PlayStation 4 controller into my PC and it would work. Um, that was a surprise to me. I did not know that that would happen. But I, I got desperate, so I tried it. And yes, it works. Um, what was I talking? Oh, yeah. Diablo 4. We also got a post about Diablo 4 last week. Um, one of them talking, one of the things they talked about was itemization in that game. Uh, one of the things that they're changing up in Diablo 4, um, there's no sets. Which is interesting. Yeah. There's also no sets in Diablo Immortal, by the way. So sets they've moved away from entirely. But in Diablo 4, there's no sets, but they're having more of what are called uniques, which which harken back to Diablo 2. Although, functionally, we had unique items in Diablo 3 as well. They just weren't called that. They mm-hmm. were um, Now they're, they're actually straight up going to have unique items. Unique items are, are going to be more class-specific. Legendaries in general... There are some class-specific ones, but legendaries can be randomly generated in Diablo 4. Uniques will not be. Uniques will be tailored to a playstyle. A unique item is intended to make you build your character around it. Uh, if you get a unique item, we'll, we'll use uh, druids as an example. You might get a unique item that buffs your 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 shape-shifting, and you'd want to build your character to be more shape-shifting oriented to make proper use of this unique item that dropped for you. I find this really. I want. I really want to see Diablo Four in action. I. I really want to play it again. I loved what I got to play of it at BlizzCon 2019, but it's been a year, and it feels like a lot of iteration has gone on under the hood. They've talked a lot about it too. 
the skill tree wasn't something you could access at, at BlizzCon. So, yeah, I'm definitely interested in seeing how this all shakes out. What are your thoughts on them getting rid of sets? Conflicted. I thought sets were always cool, uh, or at least something to strive for, but I kind of understand the idea of getting rid of it in lieu of more unique things. Because one of the things I remember back from Diablo 2, it wasn't the sets I collected, because there were sets then, and you could collect specific ones for your your class, but it was the uniques, and it was those those really super rare uniques that dropped. They felt better than getting a complete set. Like, I still remember having the wolf helm uh, and the chest uniques for uh, druids. And, like, I remember getting those, and it was a big effing deal. Uh, and feeling, like, triumphant, and them having a divine impact on the way I played the game. Whereas sets, yeah, they were cool. Uh, but moving away from them, I think I think it feels fine. I think it's okay. Uh, as long as there's that same loot reward in some other capacity, which it sounds like they're doing, zero issue. Yeah, I'm just I'm I'm more curious than anything else to see how this ultimately all shakes out. Um, one of the things I liked was that every weapon in Diablo Four is going to have a different kind of effect. Um, the way to put that is, one of the things they talk about is certain weapons are faster than others. Like, so if you're using a, a wand versus a staff, the wand will strike faster, mm -hmm. but do less damage. And then there's certain abilities will use certain items. For instance, the barbarian has an ability that is essentially smashing the ground with a giant club and knocking a bunch of debris, debris into your target's face. Like, you know, it's, it's reliant on that kind of weapon. If you don't have that kind of weapon, the attack doesn't go off. And when you use the ability, the, the since barbarians have the arsenal system, when you use the ability, they switch to the weapon that works with it. And so it's kind of a free-flowing thing where you don't have to, like, all your weapons are equipped at all times, and you just switch between them as you use abilities that use those weapons, uh, which I think is interesting. Um, there's, there's a ton more to it. They've actually put out quite a bit of detail on it for a game that is this far away from, from launch. So I'm curious to see like when we finally get a launch, what we're going to actually hear about it. But for now, we're going to move on to one other thing, because as far as I know, this is still the case. It was today. Uh, right now, Castle Nathria is doing its mythic race. There's multiple guilds in there right now. trying to. Right now, I think several are on Sire to Nathrius. Um, I think Complexity Limit actually went out and broke up into two raids and are farming Heroic to get more gear, um, specifically... Heroic Denathrius drops item level 220 gear, which is pretty close to the item level 226 gear that the Mythic encounters drop. Mm -hmm. So they went back and, and they farmed Heroic, Heroic Denathrius to gear up a little bit better before they went after uh, uh, Mythic Denathrius again. One thing to be pointed out is that Mythic Denathrius is the return of the kind of Mythic encounter that has a special phase. Uh, did you read about it, Joe? No, I didn't actually. Hey, Denathrius, uh, you, you've done Denathrius at least on normal, I think? No, not yet. We're still working our way up there. Okay, I, my guild is raided, but I haven't gotten to until this week. I might go tonight. But uh, Denathrius has a certain abilities during the fight, but when you get into the final special mythic phase, those abilities are reversed. So the ability he has that knocks the raid away from him, in the mirror phase, it becomes a, a mass a death grip, get over here type thing where he uses it and he yanks the entire raid to him. Ah, good old Gorfine's Grasp. Yeah. So, but but this is the case for every ability. In the mirror phase, all of his abilities are reversed. They're, they're in some way. It's kind of, this is rem reminiscent of the old days with, with Nefarian having the class calls, where he'd do a class call and it had a special ability that affected your your character in some way. Like, for instance, if he, would, if he did his warrior class call, the warriors would switch to Berserker Stance, which if you don't remember Berserker Stance meant that they took more damage. If you did the Priest class call, Priests would put a debuff on people they healed that would cause damage over time. Uh, and it was pretty nasty. And the Hunter one was really bad because it would break the Hunter's bow. Multiple Hunters would carry multiple bows and would just switch to one that they didn't care if it got broken when the class yep. call would go out. So that they weren't just, you know, useless a, for the rest of the fight. With that special macro to uh, feign death, drop combat, and swap the bow. Yeah, I think that's the thing you, you were talking about when you said they would tell, he somehow switch weapons. You couldn't switch in combat. Yep. But if you could get out of combat for a second, like if you shadow meld or yep. do anything like that, you could switch. Um, but yeah, that, so that's going on right now. I think as far as we know, nobody has, has reached, uh, no one has killed Anathrius yet. People were, what really got interesting was a couple of guilds stopped streaming 
Like, you remember how people, like nowadays, people just stream their stuff. They don't worry about people seeing their strats or whatever. That has stopped on Denathrius. People have stopped streaming him because they don't want people to see how they're dealing with the mirror phase. Because yeah. right now, a lot of guilds haven't gotten to the mirror phase yet, and they don't want to give people like a chance to catch up by giving them strategies on how to deal with the mirror phase. So that's interesting. That's a little okay. bit of a return back to the uh, the olden days where, like, depending on what servers you were on and how you did everything, because there wasn't streaming back then, but you still didn't tell anybody your strategies. Like, you didn't share it. Uh, yeah. So, I, I don't know. Like, I, 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 I'm not too invested in the world first races. I don't care that much. Um, oh, I, I, I think that it's definitely interesting that we're getting this much level of hype about the world first for the first raid of the expansion. Yeah, that, that I find interesting. There's a lot of raids to go. The, the last two expansions have had five raids per. Um, there were there were three raids in the opening of Legion, then two more. Then afterwards, there was there was a the, there was Emerald Nightmare, uh, Trial of Valor, and um, the Nighthold Nightwell. Sorry, is Nighthold? Yeah, it was Nighthold. Nighthold. And then then there was uh, Tuma Sargeras and Antorus. That's the five raids in Legion. Battle for Azeroth had Uldir. Battle of Zara Lore, Crucible of Storms, Ashara's Eternal Palace, and uh, N- Nihilotha for five raids. So we're likely to see at least four to five raids this expansion, I would think. Easily. If, it, if it's anything like the previous ones, and if it goes longer, it might have more. But the amount of focus we're getting on the first one seems kind of a little premature to me. But nevertheless, that's where we are right now. And it is interesting to see people suddenly going quiet and not streaming it, and and you know letting letting themselves work on it without it being streamed. Mm-hmm. So we will see where that ends up going. As of, again, as of, as of this recording, I don't believe that it's been one yet. By the time we get out of recording this podcast and and streaming it to those of you who are here with us live, they may very well have killed him. That's that's one of those things that happens. Yep. But uh, at this point, I think we're going to move on to do some emails. Um, if you have an email or a question for the show, there's a couple of ways you can get that to us. The first way is to go and email us at podcast at blizzardwatch.com with the subject line podcast of Blizzard Watch so we know it's for the show. Or uh, you can do one of our two uh, Discord channels. One is a, is a patron Q and podcast questions, and the other is simply Q questions. The Q questions channel is for everybody. The patron Q and podcast questions channel is for patrons, and we look there first because that's the whole point of getting people to be patrons is we give them the benefits to thank them for helping us continue to do this podcast and this site, which they, which they have helped so gracefully funded. But, but you know, we do also look in the other one as well. Uh, this week we got a bunch of questions. A bunch of them are from one guy because he asked a ton of questions. I mean, he just went nuts. So, yeah, uh, this is a special Ted Semi. If you're listening, <laughs> you used to, you went you went nuts and we, we used them. So there you go. Uh, Joe's going to read them to, to you all. So if you don't mind, Joe. Not at all. Uh, we'll get to Ted Semi in a little bit. But first, we're going to do other people. Sorry, Ted Semi, you're going to have to wait. Uh, so the first one. Hey there, y'all. I'm looking for some help. How do I break lo- item level 170? I'm in a dead guild and running heroics. Most gear is 171. But a couple of 161s are pulling me down. I don't have a legendary yet. I'm working on epic battlegrounds for conquest, but that will take a while. Any any thought would be yours in service, the Suggle Kid. Um, I'm in a similar boat with you. Uh, I think if I'm actually looking at my character, yeah, I'm at 163 um, because of the similar situation. I have mostly 171 pieces. Uh, I've been doing a lot of heroics, uh, but I, my weapons are both substandard. They're like I think it's 155 and 148 for my weapons and up until last week and not when i say last week i mean yesterday i was rocking a 120 green trinket from uh from ardenweald questing i just hadn't gotten a replacement for it um so i'm, I'm in a similar situation the, the one thing i can say is in addition to just keep you know continuing to run heroics and and so forth is um get your renown up because you can get better gear from the the various callings, the, the caches you get if you do a calling, you can get better gear from those. I have noticed that most of the stuff I get from callings is either grays that are worth a lot of gold, or and then Joe might might have a, th- a thought on this, but the uh, conduits tend to drop yeah. from those as well. I've got a ton of conduits from those things. Yeah, I have but yet. I have. Hmm? Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say I, I did get my. I went from a one thirty to a one fifty five two hand weapon. The first calling I did, the 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 case dropped a, a weapon for me. I know that as your renown goes up, 
your world quest rewards go up, but um, I think I'm like around nine or ten, and my rewards are still pretty crap. So yeah, I think basically get the legendary made as soon as you can. Uh, I'm working on that myself. That'll that'll bump you. What level is the legendary when you first get it? Do you remember? One ninety. Yeah, so that's a that's a solid jump up of item level. Check the if you if you're swimming in gold, go ahead and check the auction house. Yeah, that's there's a I was uh, item level one eighty nine before even stepping into a raid and without any doing doing any mythic pluses turn to crafters like legitimately especially for things like trinkets and things like rings uh, and necks like get to crafters look there uh the auction houses are usually flooded with those types of items because all of us that are leveling those things in particular for me it was rings and, and necklaces as a jewel crafter the prices for those tend to be draw, driven down really, really, really low, and you can get decent item level gear from that uh, to at least try to fill in some of those one sixty one gaps. There's, uh, I know that there's like, for instance, for a plate where there's a lot of like one, there's a one fifty one set that the, the of a plate that you can get the one sixty eight version of if the crafter has gotten that yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got several pieces I was wearing. I think I'm still wearing the. Let me actually see if I've got this. Uh, da, 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 da. Yeah, I'm still wearing the 168 pants. See, um, I've got like 171 gloves, 171 belt, 171 boots, but the the pants are 168 from that crafting, which is still better than 161. The um, depending on your class, another thing that you can also consider doing is LFR. Um, especially now, the first one isn't actually too bad. Uh, that goes pretty well and pretty quickly. Uh, and you can actually get some decent drops off of them uh, in order to, you know, whether it's replace an offhand, which I think uh, Dark Vein, I can't remember her name. Uh, the problem is, is that once LFR requires 170. It does require so if he, 170. If he can't break 170, then he can't get in. So that's something to consider. If, if you can get to 170 somehow. That's a good uh, way to get in, yeah. But if you can't, um, I'm going to say, yeah, because you can solo Torghast and you can you can work on getting your legendary. That's something you can do completely by yourself. And that that's a big bump. If you put that in a slot, you know, say you have like a 170 boots, you switch out to a like 190 boots, that'll help. It'll jump you up by a couple um, points. Another one to but, keep in mind is the Dark Moon Fair card deck is item level 200 as well. Yeah, that's true. Um, it's expensive. So if you're trying to buy in the auction house, it'll probably be going for like between 75 and 200,000 gold. It depends. But, I, I want to pick it up so- mine for 25K. Yeah, it depends on the server. On this server yeah. that I'm currently on, it's 200,000 gold, um, which is why I don't have one. But it is a two item level 200 item, so yeah, that's a nice, it's absolutely a nice jump. Uh, there's also like 190 epics. If you're swimming in gold, there's various 190 epics that are on the auction house. You can uh, They will jump you up. I, I am not swimming in gold. In fact, I have very little money, which is why I have not availed myself of any of those, but... Yeah, it, it, there's ways to do it. You, you you get your item level to pop up after a while. I, I've been the I've been enjoying running heroics, quite frankly. Um, that's also another thing you can do is just keep running heroics. Eventually, you'll you'll get to 171 because everything will be 171. The other thing so. to do too is also don't forget that the vault exists, and the if you can do any of the items off the checklist for the vault, that is a decent. Uh, possibility that's, of getting I'm not there. sure how useful that's going to be here because this is a guy who's in a dead guild so he's not doing a lot of raiding. You have to do normal raiding, mythic plus dungeons or battle raided battlegrounds PVP for the vault. None of which is really within reach of somebody who is not in a guild that doesn't a lot of stuff. And then the, so, I was going to say the other right. option too is if you're in a dead guild might also be worth considering moving or finding another place to call home to. But LFR does count for the bosses, just so you know. Once we can get to that 170 um, so once you get to that point, you can do LFR and the boss kills from there do count towards your, uh, vault, which helps propel you a little. So it'll, it'll be LFR gear, but it's still better than, than nothing. Uh, I so, think yeah. it was one one eighty seven. I think is what Tatsumi's saying in, in chat was what they were getting from it, which is, I think higher than LFR. I don't remember. Folks, keep me honest. You can tell me what LFR, uh, level loot is up. Matt's going to check in real time. <laughs> survey says 187 so yeah it is LFR level but still it's it's not bad but and it certainly will help boost you up if you can get it and the other thing to keep in mind too is uh with your renowned gear because you as you do your campaign stuff you will get gear uh and you will get more gear that's available for purchase from your renowned vendor 
you can also upgrade that as well at certain uh, levels of renown you get the ability to raise the item level and stat distribution of that gear so there is a reason to keep doing that and that doesn't necessarily require you to do uh, anything besides uh, complete certain random tasks like go rescue souls yeah. from the mall or whatever your renown level will go up for instance when you do a calling they usually give you a thing that boosts your renown level um, until you're at the, the current cap so the, the, that's one thing you can do to get your renown up quicker and there's other ways. Um, like, for instance, the quest to do Torghast, I think, gives you some renown. It does. There's a, there's a lot of stuff going around that you can do. Um, but it does, you know, it does take time. It does take longer to gear up this expansion. Uh, straight up, it does. Uh, they've gotten rid of the random roll. They've gotten rid of, like, the way that world questing works, it's very rare that it gives any gear, and the gear is usually pretty, pretty tepid. It's not, like, you know, the gear I've been seeing is several... Eye levels lower than the level I'm at, which is like 161, 160. So yeah, but but those are ways you can work on it. Definitely going to say that that work on that legendary because that that'll be a nice big kick up. Yep. Um, especially if you're the piece that you're replacing is lower than 171, then it'll definitely help. But yeah, that, that's that's pretty much the answer, don't you think? I think so. Uh, our next question comes from K Liss. Uh, question for the podcast. Re, uh, WoW PCs as silent protagonists. Uh, WoW PCs have been feeling more like protagonists than ever before, thanks in large part to the style of in-game cinematics. But I feel like this opens up some tricky issues. What are your thoughts about our characters being more present in the story but not having any agency? A recent question on the podcast asked about why we didn't tell Draka about Thrall, but I think a more awkward example is that the Kyrian is in the Kyrian Covenant campaign. We help Clea ascend. And she tells us that we've been a shoulder to lean on, a friend. And I think it's fine for the story to assume more interaction than what's explicitly in the quest. But she's shocked and horrified to learn that the Arbiter is out of commission. And that Ben's going er, Ben's going straight to the Maw. I'm guessing that means Soul's going straight to the Maw. Uh, something the PC absolutely, know, uh, absolutely knows about. The idea of being a close ally with a Kyrian, but then being completely in the dark about the state of affairs, feels like a... Consp- uh, huge disconnect to me and pulls me right out of the narrative i like for our characters to feel more present in the narrative but not if it means having such a conspicuous mutinous maybe these are growing pains that blizzard will simply overcome in time or maybe blizzard will fall into the trap of silent protagonists in the worst ways what are your thoughts interesting because today there's a quest i got on my way back into the maw where a a, uh, broker comes up to me and starts asking me a bunch of questions and i can just answer them or i can be suspicious and be like what do you want why are you asking me these questions? Now, the the broker then asked me straight out about Venari, and then I only have one option, which is to because Venari said, "Don't tell anybody about me," so you cannot tell anyone about Venari. There is no option to go Venari. Oh yeah, she's in the maw. There's no option to to screw that up. I think possibly because then Venari would stop working with you, and that's she's the major system in the maw, and you can't get rid of her. But there is a little bit of agency in that quest where I could I could basically go, you know, start answering their questions like, oh, yeah, sure, that's fine here. I'll tell you what I know. Or you can be like, why do you want to know who's asking? And I like that. And I want more of that. We saw that in in uh, Battle for Azeroth. We saw that with the Horde and the Sylvanas issue where you could support the you could be a Sylvanas loyalist or you could just try and subvert Sylvanas and work with uh, Sarfang and, and Zappy Boy. Yeah see more of that i like the i like the nuance of this one for the maw where it's it's not a big deal but it's a little moment where you can be like you know why are you asking me so many questions who are you again or you can be like oh yeah here's my you know i tell everybody about all my adventures so yeah here you go here's a complete detailed list of all the stuff i did i like that that you can you can play it a bunch of different ways and i would like to see more of that i think wow is in a weird position like we always talk about wanting more agency and i'm definitely in that boat but then the question becomes, how do you provide player agency and still keep the story from branching too far to keep it on the main path? Because this is a limitation with the type of game we're playing. Yes, it is an MMORPG, but it's not necessarily a full RPG. Uh, yeah, you can't do what they could do and say, I'm going to use the example of the game I'm playing right now. Uh, in, in Valhalla, you can make choices that change the outcome. You can't really do that in WoW. You can't be like, uh, you know, standing next to Sylvanas as she's giving her evil speech and is about to tell them to burn down Teldrassil. You can't knife her in the back because this yeah. is the, op- the expansion, guys. We can't j- just, oops, Sylvanas is dead. Well, well, Sorfang, you're in charge now. 
And I mean, even <laughs> think about that with the Battle for Azeroth stuff, even when you were making choices with Sarfang and Sylvanas, it still ultimately led to the exact same point. No matter what you did, the only difference is you, if you were a loyalist, you got a little bit extra of a different cutscene or a little bit of a different interaction than you did if you weren't a Sylvanas loyalist. What's the thing about about computer role-playing games, the uh, the illusion of choice? Yeah, and that... You don't really have a choice, but you need to make it feel like people have a choice. Bioshock Infinite's usually my go-to example for of games that like it tells you you're making choices, but you are still on a game on rails. They just do a really, really good job of making you feel like you're making choices. The choices you get to make uh, tend to not affect the main plot very much, and that's just something that happens. And that is something that's happening here. I mean, look at Breath of the Wild, the example for a game where you don't really get to choose anything. Like and it's a big open world. You can choose exactly where you go, any place you want to go. You can choose to go there. But you still end but at the, the same point. Yeah, you still end up fighting Ganon at the castle. Like you know the and the the thing is is that the only way to keep playing Breath of the Wild is to not go to the castle. Yeah, your choice Whereas is it, you beat the game in half an hour or you beat the game in ninety hours. Yeah, and WoW at least has game past that point. You know when we when you beat the last boss of the last raid, there'll be more raids. There'll be more stuff. There's yeah. there's more stuff coming. So. Yeah, I, you, you've got a point. I just don't, I don't think that's ever really going to be resolved. I think the most we're going to get is little moments where you yeah. can make little choices. Yeah, and as Tetsemi points out in chat, for for those of you that don't know, uh, Star- uh, Tetsemi, haven't you had enough? <laughs> but he, hey, Tetsemi makes a valid point here, and I'm going to share it. Uh, Star Wars: The Old Republic uh, has this problem right now where it allows you to kill certain NPCs. So now the story team has to deal with some people for who those characters are alive and other people for who those characters are dead. Uh, And it changes the scope of development. So it's the MMO trap and it, it, it's, it's hard to overcome. Uh, But I think that answers that as much as we can. Uh, I think we can move on to Rama yesterday. A question for Blizzard watch or lore watch. Uh, well, I see we got to that first, uh, in a fair fight, (laughs) in a fair fight between Uther Lightbringer and Arthas Menethil, who would win rules of engagement. Both are physically in the prime of their life. No magic or other outside power source skill with non-empowered weapons. Why I didn't leave this for lore watch because really not much. No, there's not. No, no. Anyway, to answer your question, Anduin Lothar. Yeah. But I didn't ask. I don't care. He would just materialize and the fight would be over. Just show up and bang their heads together like a couple of coconuts. Oh, you know, it's, it's you know, Arthas was younger, but you said they're both in the prime of their lives. So Uther once took out an entire town. People forget that about Uther. Uther the Lightbringer. Uther the Justifier. Uther took out Alterac. He had no trouble with it either. He didn't, wasn't. Uther is not really the kind of guy, once he commits do you ever like read the the Discworld books? Oh yeah. You ever read um, the one where where Vimes? I think it's the one with the gun in it. So it might be one of the first ones where Vime basically makes the point: if someone ever has you dead to rights, they have you in their power, ready to kill you. Pray it's an evil man, because an evil man will gloat. An evil man will take pleasure in their power over you, mm-hmm. and they will give you time and, and possible chance to reverse things and get the upper hand. A good man who has decided that you have to die will just kill you and walk on. That's Uther. When Uther decides that he has to kill somebody, he just kills them. In a weird sort of way, Arthas was a lot more idealistic than Uther. Like, Arthas was very committed to duty. He was very dutiful. He was very idealistic. And it broke him. Uther didn't break. Uther bent. Uther said, okay, I can still... If you look at what Uther does in the Shadowlands, and I'm not going to give any spoilers here, but... Uther is very quick to to go the, the path of just destroy everything. When he's decided that that's what you should do, he'll do it. Mm-hmm. Whereas Arthas was, especially in the prime of his life, he was a very idealistic person who believed that he did the th- the hard things to, to save other people. I think that you would you'd rather have Arthas have you in his power than Uther. Yeah, I would tend to agree with that. And I, I know people are talking uh, in chat about you know Arthas destroyed an entire town. Yeah, but I, I think Uther would still... I think his strength of resolve eclipses even that of Arthas, and I think that would be the undoing. So, at least in my humble opinion. Uh, anything else to add to that before we move on to the first of many Tetsemis? No, no, I think, we, you know, it's it's kind of a funny little question that I just put through in so I yeah. can say the, the Lothar thing. 
Fair enough. Well, All right. I want to fight Andy with Finn while you're at it. That guy's crazy. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, this one comes from Tetsemi. It looks like it's a several part question. So we'll go through one by one. Uh, well, okay. Question for Blizzard Watch and or the queue. Feel free to spread these out. Mm, we're going to go through it anyway. Favorite class subclass archetype in Blizzard games. What game that it's not in would you like to see it in? I'll let you, any thoughts on that one? Barbarian, World of Warcraft. It, which is funny because I was going to say uh, Javelin Amazon and put it in a while. Because that's one of the, funnily, way back when, when Warcraft 3 was transitioning to World of Warcraft, that, that in between time, there was a player mod that tried to basically make World of Warcraft in the Warcraft 3 engine. Did a pretty good job at it, too. But Shadowhunters used to throw spears, and that was one of the classes you could play. And the fact that I've never been able to play as a Shadowhunter. <coughs> Woo! As <coughs> a Shadowhunter. <coughs> Ooh. So I never got to play as a Shadowhunter, and I never got to chuck spears in uh, in World of Warcraft as a primary ranged weapon. Yeah, that's problematic to me. I'd love to have that. All right. Yeah, I've said in the past, uh, if I could go back to the beginning of WoW, I would get rid of Warriors and make Barbarians and something else, um, because the Warrior's a little too generic. I love Warriors now. I've always loved them. I've played them forever, but <laughs> they don't really work. If you look at actual Warcraft units, they don't fit. Like they don't fit either the Horde ones of the Grunts and so forth, and they don't fit the Alliance ones of Knights and so forth. They feel kind of out of place. So I get why they did it, but if I if I had my Druthers, Barbarian would actually be a playable class in WoW, and that would be what I would play. Yep. All right, your favorite weapon type in game. Which weapon type needs more <clears throat> more love? Uh, well, for me, it's swords, but I don't think swords need more love. I think we're doing fine. Um, I think. Warglades need to be playable, be usable by more classes. I get why you made them Demon Hunter only, but that's ridiculous. There's no reason that a rogue or a warrior uh, or a shaman couldn't use Warglades. Um, especially those classes that use fist weapons should be able to use Warglades. It's basically a fist weapon with two huge blades out the sides. It just... Yeah, for me, it's two-handed caster weapons that aren't a staff. I love two-handed caster, like, axes, maces, things like that, because I think it fits a certain aesthetic, and we don't get nearly enough of them. We got a lot of them in Warlords of Draenor, and I was super, super happy, but then there they... Was that, I remember the one in Burning Crusade that was basically this giant twi- twirly mace Yep. that I remember Paladins and Shaman and Druids were all using. Yep. I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head, but like I like stuff like that because it's not just the staff. Staffs, st- uh, they feel boring to me as a caster, and I think we've gotten so many of them in game that give me caster-focused weapons that aren't staves and aren't like one-handed daggers. They get a little boring. What caster fist weapon in uh, well, the Shaman had one, didn't you? There's several. Uh, ever just since like the uh, the artifact that was one of the, the one of the artifacts there was also in warlords of draenor uh several uh caster fist weapons there were some in cataclysm as well uh they've always had some but it, it hasn't been like a major major thing in a while i think there's more now than there ever have uh it, it's still not quite enough at least so number two for me after swords would be fist weapons i think fist weapons are great i just haven't got enough one-hand weapon drops this time around to use them fair enough uh next one next wow expansion 60 to 70 or reset to 50 to 60 60 to 70 i would agree 60 to 70 with other character growth as necessary i think that i think that's going to be the way to go or uh have a different sort of achievement system that issues levels altogether one or the other Except that they'll ever do that. I don't think they will. I don't but think they makes, will. It's an idea. I just don't think they're going to do. I, I've, I've posited the fact that you could do level-less expansions where it was just, uh, hey, here's a new place to go. But I don't think so. Well, I think conduits are a good opportunity to explore an alternative to leveling that maybe could be integrated in different ways. Throwing it out there, maybe. But who knows? But yeah, definitely 60 to 70. Uh, most overlooked lore character in Blizzard games that needs more time in the limelight. Ran a blue heart. Okay, why? Because they introduced this character back in Kata. Um, she's off in the Swamp of Sorrows. She's the Alliance leader. She has this interesting backstory about how she was a baby, like she was a small child when the Horde came through and burned her farm to the ground and displaced her and her people. And here she is now a fully grown adult, like almost 30 years later, still fighting the Horde. 
and trying to, you know, def- and she's not there for revenge. She's just there trying to win the war. It's just really interesting. It's this this woman with a grizzled backstory, and she's you never hear anything from her ever again. It's like, who is what happened to Joanna Blueheart? What's going on with Joanna? Did she did she finally like how does she feel about them having had another war with the Horde after the war with the Horde she fought in? Like, did she fight in the next one too? Like, how, what's going on with Joanna? I'm there's a lot of horde, lower characters I want to hear more about, but I definitely want to hear more about Joanna, especially since I'm sorry, Battle for Azeroth. Wow, did I get to hear a lot about how sad orcs are about burning down my hometown? Ooh, Sorfang was so so hard done by when he burned down my hometown. Yeah, I'm tired of. I don't care about orc pain anymore. I'm I'm tired of it. I, y'all can sit down and shut up. We've we've had enough of how bad the horde feels about what the horde does. Give me some alliance lore characters. Let them do horrible things, and then we can hear about how bad they feel about them. Um, if that's going to be the storytelling beat. Um, so yeah, I, I want to hear more about Joanna Blueheart. Yeah, for me, it would be a uh, Stormcaller Myra My, uh, Mulra uh, M Y L R A. I can never I can never pronounce her name. Another right. character. What's that? A character, char- cataclysm character. Yeah, be, she, she got a little bit more. She got more actual screen time than Joanna. Joanna got one quest. Yeah, she got more screen time, but I don't think nearly enough. I think she's a, a truly fascinating character. I think character interactions were always really solid with her, and I'd love to see more done with her. Also, because I like strong female characters, and she was definitely one of them. Ogres and, and whirling blades. Yeah. Oh, dude. The, yeah. The the dangling quest of I'm going to kill you now. Because I feel like it, and the ogre going, oh, wow, yeah, she means business. Yeah, give me more of that character, please, and thank you very, very much. <laughs> uh, the next one is favorite Blizzard game boss mechanic and why. It doesn't disproportionately punish the melee. In other words, some kind of unicorn, because there are no mechanics for boss fights in World of Warcraft that don't disproportionately punish the melee. Uh, yeah, I... I'm going to go the opposite route because it's a one that they've used several times and I enjoy it whenever they do. I like healer fights like, you know, Kalthos. Oh, like Dreamwalker. Dreamwalker, the new Kalthos fight. Um, those types of fights I think are interesting because it forces you to think about healing in a different way uh, for that encounter than just making sure your party's alive. I like that. I like the fact that it switches your focus and I like things like I only annoying because they become very hard to solo for non-healing classes i can understand that and they've taken measures to try to fix that for some of them but yeah um and then uh, the next one from or the last part of it which i think is wait 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 fast if you are trying to solo dreamwalker and you've got the heart of azeroth with the ability that damages hostile and heals fire yeah go ahead and keep that because that means you will be able to solo dreamwalker forever one hit from that and she heals up to full yep so just keep that in mind keep that all right. Uh, this is a two-parter, uh, or at least two-part section. Uh, Anarchy Online is the closest we've had to Cyberpunk slash Shadowrun MMO. Uh, follow-up question. Why don't science fiction fantasy MMOs that aren't first-person sh- first shooters have large audience? What would you like to see in a science fiction fantasy MMO? Um, I've often said this, and I will say this again, and I understand that this is a Blizzard-focused podcast. If anybody out there makes a Shadowrun MMO, I'm gone. Like, it's the one game world that is everything that I've ever wanted as far as the blending of science fiction, uh, high technology, and magic with all the fantasy and and futuristic tropes. Um, It's always has been and always will be my favorite setting. Anarchy Online, I think, maybe got close, but not really. Uh, It's maybe like a a bunt in a a home run derby contest. but yeah, if if we could, if somebody out there would make, honestly sit down and try to make a Shadowrun MMO, oh my god, I think it would be amazing. And I think the reason that science fiction uh, MMOs haven't really been a thing, and it's mainly been first-person shooters, is because there isn't that much of a, a, a gap. Like, if you look at all the MMOs that have ever existed, the closest one to come to it was Wildstar. It tried very, very hard to bridge those two genres. Um but it still leaned very heavily on the fantasy. Every MMO that's been popular since the beginning of time has really been fantasy based. Uh, actually stop you. Go ahead. Cause there's one MMO that was popular to very popular, certainly had a science fictional aspect to it. Although it did also have magic and fantasy in it and it didn't get canceled because it didn't have the people playing it. 
got canceled because its company felt like it didn't want to support it anymore. That game is is uh, City Heroes slash City of Villains. You you cut me off literally before I got there. Well, it's going to be my answer. We were talking for a while, so there you go. Um, City of Heroes did pretty much everything right in terms of science fiction, but it was a comic book based game, and that was the the reason why I think a lot of people forget it. Mm-hmm. Uh, superheroes kind of blend genres by their very nature. Um, superhero comic books tend to have like th- this story is a romantic story. Like if you look at the X Men, the X Men is a soap opera with people in spandex. It always has been, even before they started having like poly triads or quintads. I don't even know how many people are in that. The 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 Emma Frost, Scott Summers, Jean Grey, Wolverine. That, that's a whole complicated skew. thing that'll take forever to get. To, yeah, to but, but that's happening. So, you know, games that that touch on this the superhero as, aspects and elements tend to be everything. They're like they they throw in every genre, and I think that's one of the reasons they get around it. Games like WildStar, uh, they, they even like you know Star Wars: The Old Republic. Or Final Fantasy. Final Fantasy kind of has the blending of those genres as well because it's a Final yeah. Fantasy game. Yeah. But for that matter, WoW has got tons of steampunk in it. Um, and anytime you go to a Titan facility, suddenly it's like, whoa, I don't know what's going on here. I think to a certain degree, the, the, the lines blur and you don't get a pure science fiction one because the closer to pure science fiction you get, the more you have to start making sense. Yeah. Like the more science fictional, yeah, especially if you go towards hard SF, the more like, oh, okay, how, how are you possibly carrying that? You get you get your well, st- yeah. it's, it's the difference between Star Trek and what I, Star Trek and Shadowrun, right? To me, Star Star Trek even MMO is like the closest you're going to get to a pure science fiction yeah MMO, and it's about the ship half the time. And quite frankly, that's the fun part. I much more enjoyed when I played Star Trek Online, which I played for a solid six months. I much more enjoyed the ship stuff than I did going down to a planet and doing an away team mission. I was like, that was fine, but that that didn't feel all that much different than any other MMO, except that I'm I got a phaser and yeah. like I couldn't figure out how to keep my health up. Uh, you know, whereas the ship stuff felt new and novel and fun. I think it's just a, it's a matter of you know those elements don't always gel together very well. MMOs tend to be the exploration aspect of an MMO can be your favorite part of it, and that tends to be easier to do in a fantasy game. There's a lot of other stuff. Yeah, definitely want to say City Heroes though. That that was a game. That was one of the I still still miss that game so so much um and then the the last one speaking of city of heroes from tetsemi on this particular one and i think it'll probably take us the time uh favorite we're a little over right now so yeah yeah favorite superhero villain and anti-hero was dr victor von doom an anti-hero or a villain go ahead man. Doom is a villain, but he's not my favorite villain but doom is absolutely a villain doom is i think it's one of the interesting points that i think it was um of all people stan lee made doom has no sense of honor Doom likes to talk about having a sense of honor, but when it comes down to it, he'll do anything to win. He is cruel and malevolent. He is fascism. He's the fascist impulse. He is a fascist bad guy created by two people who had just been, who had both been soldiers during World War II. Mm -hmm. They knew what fascism was. They weren't confused about it. It was bad. They'd seen it. They knew it was evil. And every time, if you look at every villain Kirby made, he was a fascist. Yeah. Darkseid is literally the god of fascism. To get around to the actually answering your question, my favorite superhero is always going to be Superman. And it's always Superman because Superman is an impossible standard that no human being could live up to. You give me Superman's powers and Earth is in trouble. With the best will in the world trying to do the right thing, I would almost certainly screw it up. But Superman doesn't screw it up. Superman is compassionate and he puts he'll put himself in danger even with his vast power. He will do things that are impossibly dangerous for us to save us because he is that person. He is compassionate and wants to help us. So he's my favorite. Um, my favorite villain is favorites, a loaded term. A lot of villains I don't like, but I like them as villains Whereas other villains. I find sympathetic and interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, Thanos types are never going to be interesting to me. Uh, people who just destroy and kill because they have a stupid ideology or because they, they have a boner for death and want death to be their girlfriend. Not interested. People like doom who are fascists, not interested. Uh, maniacs like the Joker, absolutely not interested. So for me, it's Lex Luthor. And it's Lex Luthor because Luthor is the opposite of Superman. And he's the opposite of Superman in that he is a Superman. And it's I think it's funny that Batman's best Batman is often predicted as Superman's best friend because Batman is the good Luthor. He's almost as smart. He's just as ruthless. And he has an almost his his enemy is crime itself, which is almost as implacable as the alien demigod that Luthor has decided he's going to kill. 
and they're very similar people. And I think that the, the reason that in the Silver Age they made Luthor one of Superman's friends who turned on him is because you get that sense that if Luthor could just stop for one minute and look at what he was doing, he'd realize, oh, this is foolish. Um, if anything, that this I'm not going to accomplish anything. But it's his hubris, his pride, his overweening arrogance, his humanity that puts him in these this situation. For all his genius... He's going to fail because he has set himself. Even if he kills Superman successfully, he'll still fail. He'll have failed to, to achieve what he wanted. He's never going to be better than Superman. Not because Superman is more powerful than him. Not because Superman is smarter than him. He's demonstrably not. Because Superman is just a better person than he is. And that's usually what it boils down to. And even when Lex Luthor has his breakdowns, that's usually what the rant winds up becoming, right? Yeah. There's a great line in All-Star Superman, one of Grant Morrison's best works, where Luthor is ranting about how he could have saved the world if not for Superman. And Superman says, you could have saved the world years ago if it mattered to you, Lex. Superman's always known this. This is why Superman tries to get Lex to turn around. Because Superman knows Luthor could save the world. He's an absolute genius. He could do it if he would just stop being this. And Luther's never going to hear this message. And that's why he, I, I find him fascinating. There's a lot of villains I find fascinating for that, for, for similar reasons. I'm a huge fan of the villain couple, the Absorbing Man and Titania from Marvel, mm -hmm. because they're just meat and potatoes supervillains. And at the moment, they're even kind of anti-hero-ish. So I'm going to put them in my anti-hero slot, because right now they're sort of on the side of good, but for their own reasons in the Hulk comic, which, by the way, if you're not reading the Immortal Hulk, you should. Oh, oh it's one of the best horror comics available, period. Yeah, it's it's a really story. good comic. Plus, it has multiple characters from Alpha Flight in it. Yes. And I'm sorry, Eugene Puck Judd is absolutely... He's the best character in that book. The best character in that book, and it's got a lot of good characters in it, but he's just the best. Uh, it's just, it is a great comic. I'm going to shut up now and let Joe talk. Yeah, I'm going to make this pretty quick. Uh as far as favorite superhero, this is going to come as a surprise to literally no one, uh, but it's going to be Spider-Man and particularly the Miles Morales variety. If you've listened to the show, you know why. If you've listened to any of our pre-shows, you know why. Uh, and I've already told my heartfelt story about it, but he absolutely my favorite superhero of all time. Anti-hero. Actually, I'm going to give it to John Constantine. Uh, and the reason I'm going to do this is because... I like the fact that he is just a hot mess of a human being and still winds up getting shoved into these weird scenarios, but still kills people, still does things. He does what needs to be done. Uh, if you watch anything or watch any of the Justice League Dark movies, read any of the Justice League Dark comic books, you get a pretty good idea of, of him as an antihero. If I, you saw the last Justice League Dark animated movie before they switched over to their current animated continuity... You got to see John Constantine screw up in all the ways that John yep. Constantine screws up. Yep. Up to and including getting his neck broken yep. by a demon. And yep. that was still part of his plan. It was his plan the whole time. Yeah. But I absolutely I absolutely adore him as far as all of that goes. Uh and my favorite villain it's that's a hard one just because there are so many different ways I can go with it, but it's going to be a two-way tie for me. Uh, between Ra's al Ghul uh, and the Kingpin. And because I think that they are some of the most underrated villains for the most part, like Ra's al Ghul may be less so. Um, and the Kingpin recently has gotten sort of like a, almost like a renaissance as far as him being a villain between the Spider-Man video game and some of the stuff that's been going on in the comic books. But like the, you're also forgetting that the Kingpin was the main villain of the Daredevil yep. Netflix series, yep. where Vincent D'Onofrio did an amazing job playing uh, him. Stupendous job, and apparently will repri be reprising his role. Um, but yeah, like th the idea, though, is that the Kingpin was just a guy. He was just a guy who was smart. He was a lot like Lex Luthor, but more... More down-to-earth, more realistic. Yeah. Yeah, and like I always you, enjoyed that. Actually, no one's going to be a Lex Luthor in real life. But you Someone could see could somebody be a kingpin. Kingpin. Yeah, exactly. And for Ra's al Ghul, it was because even though he was a villain, he was principled, which is one of those things that you don't see very often in villains. Usually, and when they do, a lot of the times it's BS. Whereas he wants to, he thinks what he's doing is going to save the world. And it's one of those things where it's an interesting sort of, dichotomy there like i i just always enjoyed that so those are my picks <laughs> all right but i think that's all we have time for unless there's anything yeah, else you want to add like 10 minutes over let's, uh, yeah we gotta go 
All right. So Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash Blizzard Watch. Your continued support means this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast for the queue, and an ad-free site experience. Uh, thank you very much, Joe. Uh, thank you, everybody, for being here, both in the chat and otherwise. Uh, thank you, Tetsemi, for there was even more questions we didn't get to, so we'll probably roll them into the next one. Uh, and thank you to everybody who does listen to this recorded or otherwise or supports the site because it means we can keep doing it. And that's something we think is really cool. Uh, we are going to be doing a lore watch this weekend. I know Christmas is this week, uh, but lore watch is far enough past it. We're going to be doing one. Um, we're prob- are we going? Do we have any idea what we're doing on Lore Watch this week? So I have an idea for that, and I think it's going to be special. We're not going to be doing a whole lot of questions or possibly any questions this coming week, but I think I have something special planned for you. I don't want to. I don't want to tip too uh, too much onto that. All right, cool. Uh, and as Joe pointed out, this was episode two ninety nine. So next week is episode three hundred, and we've got some stuff lined up for that. So you definitely want to be here to to participate in that show if you if at all possible but for right now uh this has been the blizzard watch podcast thank you guys so much for being here and we'll be back next week hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.